Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB, and you can become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. And now's a great time to become a subscriber, by the way, because we are right in the middle of putting together our preview magazine for this season. We're going to have previews of every single team that plays high school and college football in the state of Texas. Uh, so make sure and check it out. It's obviously our biggest undertaking, and you can get it shipped directly to your house at textfootball.com slash subscribe. Anyway, we got Ishmael Johnson in the house. Ish, how you doing? Hey, what's up, man? It's March. What is football? <laughs> Listen, it's been a few weeks uh, since since we've had a podcast. Obviously, um, you know, Ish on the basketball side is uh, swamped. <laughs> I mean, this is this is obviously a crazy month for him, just with the high school tournaments, and then obviously, you know, we got a we got these tournaments at the at the uh, college level too. And listen, there's a lot to talk about on the uh, on the basketball side when it comes to Texas colleges, as long as you don't play in Austin. <laughs> well, I mean, there is stuff to talk about if you play if you if, if they are in Austin as well. Just yes, probably yes. not stuff you want to talk about. Well, um, well, and, and not on the men's side. Let's be clear. And not on the men's side. Correct. The women are playing, and also yes. there the women are playing uh, also some games in Austin as well. So not only yes, Texas yes. <laughs> being still in the tournament, obviously, but there are games uh, being played in the Irwin Center. Um, but yeah, man, it's that's that's been that's been uh, interesting to keep track of the men's side. Of course, you got Baylor and Houston still carrying the flag. Um, and then the women's side, you got Baylor, Houston, or Baylor, Texas A&M, and Texas still carrying the flag. Yep. We'll see. I think Texas and A&M both play tonight. We're recording on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday afternoon. So we'll see if that keeps going. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a really kind of a banner tournament for the Lone Star State. We had two teams in the men's side pull upsets. Almost one team in the the women's pulling upset with SFA. So yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, I feel like I have to ask you like the uh, the March icebreaker question, which is how many Final Four teams on the men's side have you lost so far? Oh, let me see. I th- surprisingly, I think none. Let me okay. double check on that. I think I'm okay on the Final Four. I know I had Baylor and Houston on one side. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was I was dumb and I picked Oklahoma State because I thought that uh, that could oh, hit another level and yeah. Cade forgot. K- well, no. Well, actually, actually, uh, his teammates just forgot he played for them. Ah, and it happens. So it, was, it just decided he was fine. But his, uh, I think, uh, uh, Robbie Callen, who had the infamous Jordan Clarkson tweet, um, the Jordan, it's Jordan Clarkson time by Jordan Clarkson. Uh, he said, Oklahoma State, uh, it's not, it's not Cade Cunningham time uh, by Oklahoma State. <laughs> and uh, uh, no, so was, yeah, I've lost none. I have Gonzaga, Michigan, Baylor, Houston. So okay. Uh, Everything well, else has been decimated. I had Ohio right. State making a run. I had uh, I had Tech making a run. I had Florida making a run. So everything else is like, it's like the uh, the SpongeBob We Say the City gif where they're celebrating, <laughs> but everything's burning around them. So. Right, right. See, I, I feel uh, real good about the fact that I still heading into the tournament felt like Baylor and Gonzaga were on another level than everybody else. And 100%. we're starting to see that Baylor defense come around again, right? Yeah. Which Which has been really good to see. Uh, I have Alabama also coming out of the Michigan region, mostly because I mm. 
don't trust Michigan because, sure, uh, sure. you know, they lost one of their three best players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're okay so far. We're okay we're so okay. far. Um, there After the first round, I was top two in all three of my bracket pools. And yeah. now I am not. <laughs> I am not. So uh, I think I was, I think I was like quite literally bottom or bottom two and like everything <laughs> after the first round. So that was, that was great. I'm going to come in about two or three. So that was fun to keep track of. Uh, Listen, by the way, if you want more basketball talk, we do have a basketball <laughs> podcast now, Texas 24. Uh, you can search on Apple Podcasts for that. Me and Matthew Bruni of 247. Yep. Uh, we've had Justin Carter on talking some women's basketball. We had a uh, kind of a rapid reaction to the um, uh, ACU upset over Texas. So we'll be recording uh, two more this week for one for the women's recap and then one for the men's recap now that we're finally in a lull because they decided to mess with the tournament schedule. And we've literally had basketball for like, seems like 10 days straight. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Well, I, I texted you this earlier. Yeah. Finally, for the first time in like literally a year, something happened on the football side that made me feel like, oh my gosh, this is college football again. And that's <laughs> Lincoln Riley apparently is not releasing Chandler Morris uh, from his commitment to Oklahoma, which means that Chandler Morris has to sit out a year. Now, yep. Look, I think that we all assume that the NCAA is going to come down and be like, no, this is this is just not happening. He's going to be eligible, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is a hill that Lincoln Riley is going to die on, and he's going sure. to die, right? Like, we all know <laughs> it. But, uh, but finally, it's been – everything that we've talked about with college football so far has been like, so, is he going to play college football? Or, so, right. did he, they get the deadly virus? Like, right. it feels good to sort of be like, hey – there's some minor litigation issue. <laughs> it finally, it feels like we're back, right? Yeah, no, it does. It really does. And I see some people, you know, don't get me wrong. In a vacuum, I obviously hate when coaches block transfers in general. Yeah. Um, some people are giving Lincoln Riley grief because it's like, oh, of course, you you know, who else has benefited more from the transfer portal than Lincoln Riley? You know? It's like, yes, but they're like, I'm not defending Lincoln Riley, but to me, because again, I feel like anybody should be able to transfer or whatever. But to me, this doesn't, this isn't contradictory for Lincoln Riley because this is an in-conference transfer that, because people want to bring up Jalen Hurts and it's like, okay, that's fair. But again, at a conference, um, people want to bring up Austin Kendall, grad transfer. People want to bring up Baker Mayfield, walk-on, and he sat here. Right. And so there are like, yes, if you want to get, if you want to, make this a thing about just transfers in general, which I'm glad to make it that. And I think Chandler Moore should be immediately eligible. But if you, the, the contradiction, the contradictory, the hypocritical argument against Lincoln Riley, there are some like technicalities to be like, that's not quite the same case here, right? Like, yes, nobody's benefited more, uh, uh, more than Lincoln Riley from the transfer portal, but each of those cases were different, right? Kyler Murray did sit out a year. Right. Like we have, we've had these things where, you know, he, for the most part, he has maintained uh, the loose unwritten rule kind of thing of like these transfer, how these transfers go. Right. You're like, Oh, don't transfer in conference. Don't, you know, do X, Y, and Z. He's followed that for the most part. And so this isn't really a contradiction as opposed to just like, he's just reg. He just has the traditional regular archaic mindset when it comes to transfers. <laughs> right. Right. And I think that a big part of it, right. Is that Lincoln Riley has kind of been ahead of the curve on many of these issues. And mm-hmm. so I think that for people, that's like the big thing, right. It's like, Oh, this is what I expected 
you know, insert coach Gary Patterson. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, that's, that's more what, who you would have expected to hear this from. Right. But, right. Uh, but this actually transitions us, uh, transitions us great into our topic, which is, listen, we're in the middle of putting together the magazine and, uh, and, and actually let, let me boil it down to this. Okay. So every year we have uh, a writer's poll in the magazine. And uh, one of the questions in our writer's poll is who is the best quarterback in the state? And at that moment, I realized, Oh dear. I, there is a lot going on with this position, obviously with transfers, obviously with, yep. uh, you know, I think that just to take it sort of a little bit more big picture, like this is a, a year of transition in so many ways for the state, right? Like, I think that the last three to four years was kind of like an era in, in state history because you had Kellen Mond, you had Sam Ellinger, you had uh, Charlie Brewer, you had even mm -hmm. Alan Bowman kind of enter that mix. You had Shane Bouchelle, right? Like, mm -hmm that was kind of like a generation in a lot of right. ways uh, of quarterbacks and all of them are kind of gone at the same time, which is, you know, that's not necessarily something that you see all the time is kind of this whole slate wiped clean. And so, you know, at the power five schools, you got four open quarterback battles going on, if not five uh, at, you know, the group of five schools, you've got a number of them. So uh, we were just going to go around every school in the state kind of evaluate the quarterback situation. And if there's a competition, you know, maybe we'll make a pick too. Uh, lot, lots mm. of football left to play, but yeah. But I think that, um, you know, now's as good a time as any to do it, right? As camp starts opening. Speaking of quarterback situations, I just now remembered that Alan Bowman's at Michigan. So that's, Michigan. that's, how, that's the how University things are of going. Michigan. It, it's, yeah, that's a wild one. I did not see that coming. I'll admit, <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit he's a really good player. And I thought that he was yeah. going to end up at another power five. I just, sure, sure. I, that's just the sort of Lubbock to Ann Arbor is not the sort of connection that my brain and, makes. <laughs> right. Right. And also like somebody like Jim Harbaugh who needs to win now. And I'm not saying right. you can't win now with Alan Bowman, but you're betting on a guy getting back to a level that he just hasn't been at in a while. And that that's, what's going to be interesting to me is like, he's, you know, again, we're fans of Alan Bowman. We think his, when he is able to play at his best, he is a really good quarterback, but for somebody who does need to win now and probably needs to start, competing with Ohio State a lot better. That's a lot to bet on this kid. Yeah. Well, let's start with Texas Tech, actually. So sure. they bring back uh, a quarterback who started for them last year in Henry Columbia. They lose Alan mm -hmm. Bowman, like we mentioned. Uh, they return Maverick McIver and Donovan Smith, two guys who were still on the roster. But they made arguably the two biggest acquisitions of the offseason, I'd argue, in, in Texas college football uh, at the quarterback position. They add Tyler Shuck, the former Oregon starting quarterback who mm -hmm. now is joining them as a grad transfer or yeah, it is a grad transfer, I believe. Yes. Um, and then they added Baron Morton, who was a top 150 type recruit out of high school from Eastland. So look, I think that Columbia's obviously going to have the advantage of being here, but it's a new offensive coordinator with Sonny Cumbie. It's a new mm -hmm. coaching staff on that side of the ball. Uh, I mean, look, I, I think that this was a conversation that we had when he transferred, but you kind of think that this is just Tyler Chuck's to lose. Yeah. I mean, because you, you have to you have to look at it from in a way I'm really glad that they made the OC change for this specific scenario because there's no bias right Sonny Cumbie's coming in with a clean slate he's going to get out to see all these guys go in spring and I think uh, uh, I'm trying to find Don Williams at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal had a had a piece over um, opening spring camp and you know he's supposed to say this but I mean, Matt Wells did say it's fairly open, right? Right, you can, you right. Can assume that Shug is going to be the guy, which, you know, I think the smart money would be there. But 
he's giving Sonny Cumbie basically a clean slate to say, hey, look, you don't know anything about any of these guys. So you're going to come in and evaluate who's going to be the best. Obviously, that kind of leans towards the starting, uh, the guy with starting uh, experience in terms of high level experience. Um, and Henry Columbia, like he's, I think he's a good option to have. And he's definitely a good change of pace kind of guy. But he's, as we saw many times last year, he's not necessarily the guy you want maybe the entire game. He's maybe somebody you may have packages for. He's maybe somebody you are comfortable having in the wing in case something does happen to your starter. But I think the more was that was put on his plate and the more game film got under him, I don't think he's definitely the guy that they want to roll with his QB1. Uh, with Baron Morton, you have an immense talent, but that's somebody you probably don't want to throw to the Wolves right away, as talented as he is. He did play at a certain level in high school. He played it very well, and obviously he's, he is what he is as a prospect, but going from that to, you know, FBS, Power 5 football is something different. So, um, again, Walter Football still has Shug as their number two quarterback for 2022. Um, again, that's, we'll see how much that lasts. I, I think that was still a lot of hype heading into 2020. Um, that was that, that, that was based off of, but you know, they still, he still is a highly rated quarterback. And I still think it's, it's pretty safe to say that the job is his. And I think the timeline works a whole lot too, because I think that if you are Sonny Cumbie and if you are Matt Wells, mm-hmm. your thought process is, you know, maybe we get a year or maybe two out of Tyler Shuck, right? right? He does have up to three years of eligibility remaining uh, mm-hmm. because of this, uh, this rule last year, but I wouldn't anticipate him completing those th- three years. Right. So, sure. if, so all I, go, if all goes, if all goes according to plan, right. I mean, he lights it up this year, goes pro because the stock is already high. And then you have Baron Morton waiting in the wings, right? That, like that, that's, that's if all goes according to plan. And then at worst case scenario, he stays two years and you have a sophomore Baron Morton. Yeah, no question. So yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be Shug. Uh, it's going to be real interesting to see because, because uh, I think that that position in a lot of ways is going to define what Texas tech can do in 2021 and obviously i mean look for how good sunny cumby has been with getting quarterbacks and even developing them to some extent sunny cumby has put together a good offense in a good three years right so i think it's gonna be really interesting now seeing him kind of have his own fingerprints on the offense he's not gonna have any influence from elsewhere uh you know it'll be interesting to see what he does so let's go ahead and move on uh let's let's move to uh sunny cumby's old job at tcu mm-hmm. one of the few jobs in the state where you kind of feel like this is a returning starter who's definitely going to be starting for us. Uh, Gary Patterson said on Monday that they view Max Duggan for sure as their starter. And like we mentioned, with Chandler Morris, the guy who could potentially come in and compete, we don't necessarily know 100% whether he's going to be eligible for this upcoming season because of everything. Sure. So how do you feel about, about Max Duggan? I feel like I, <laughs> I ask myself this question 10 times a day. I know, I know, right? Um I think I feel co- I feel confident about Max Duggan, but I don't I don't know if I feel confident in just what they have around him. And I think that goes to um, the offensive line, obviously, because I think when you when you look at him in a nutshell, like he's improved. Like it, it's unden- undoubtedly he's improved as a quarterback and as a passer, and even as a runner, he's just gotten smarter. But it, none of that really matters if there's nothing around him that can you know, that can sustain itself. And I'm wondering, is somebody going to emerge on the outside for him to have as a target? Is that offensive line going to be able to hold up enough to be able to, you know, be 
just give him some time because when he has time, he's been able to make throws. And we've seen his best games where he's able to make some, take some deep shots and, and find guys. And, and I don't know, that was the most frustrating part last year was that you saw a quarterback take a step forward, but you didn't see it enough to where, or you, you didn't see the, the him have enough protection to be able to really be like fully confident in him, you know, for the future um as like you said i still think he is clearly the the, the guy on the rosters pending chandler morris but i don't even think that gary will start him regardless um or at least right away so yeah i don't know it, it, he he's probably the most polarizing quarterback right now i think in the state yeah I, i'd agree i'd agree i i think that i think that we've definitely seen a lot of nice signs from him right mm-hmm. And I think that the the thing that makes me somewhat optimistic about him and really about TCU in general next year is that they return so much on offense. You know, yeah. that you've got uh, obviously a number of uh, linemen who are coming back. You added Obena Easy, a, an offensive tackle from Memphis, who was really good last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you bring back a, a running back room that arguably is is the best in, in the state, maybe even yep. one of the best in the country, right? With Zach Evans, with Kendra Miller, and with Darwin Barlow, DeMarc Way Foster. I mean, that's crazy talent, right? Crazy levels mm-hmm. of talent. And so the pieces are there. You, you'd mentioned that I don't mention the wide receivers, right? I think that's going to be a big part of it is whether, you know, somebody can step up next to Quentin Johnston. I I think that they're hoping that it can be JD Spielman who was hurt a lot of last year after Mm -hmm. transferring from Nebraska, but you know, that's, that's kind of an unknown, right? We didn't see that last year. And yeah, I thought at times it could be Tay Barber, but I don't know if they know what to do with him right now. Right. And I will say, I mean, on Monday, it's only been a couple days of camp. Gary Patterson was talking up Darius Davis and Tay Barber. We'll mm-hmm. see if it means anything, right? Because I feel sure. like he's talked at least Tay Barber up the last couple of years and it hasn't been much. But right. that's going to be, I think, to me, the biggest question is that, yeah, I mean, I, I want Max Duggan to get better. I want him to, uh, you know, set his feet a little bit more when he's throwing. I don't want him to feel like he needs to always be on the run because some of that is obviously the offensive line, but a lot of it is just him too. And, you know, I think that if he's able to do those things, that, that's what makes me somewhat intrigued with this TCU team, right? Is because right. you got the production back on defense. You got a lot of depth on defense. You got the offensive line depth, I think, that you didn't have last year. Uh, there's a lot here to work with. Let's go ahead and move to TCU's rival down in Waco, the Baylor Bears, who, in my opinion, have one of the weirder quarterback competitions, I think, in this state. Uh, yeah. They've got a four-man fully open competition between Gary Bohannon, Jacob Zeno, Blake Shapin, and Kyron Drones. And I know that for all of last year, uh, because of some of the things he did as a freshman, Jacob Zeno has kind of been the fan favorite. But I'll tell you what, I, I don't think any of these four guys have a particular advantage. Oh, God, no. I mean, they shouldn't. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think Zeno, obviously, we've seen that he has the biggest flash appeal because obviously he, what he did in the Big 12 title game a couple of years ago and even a little bit of last year, but they're, both with him and Bahannon, there needs to be some hesitancy on behalf of the fans, I think, when it comes to just assuming one of those guys are going to be it. Because it's, you know, it's, it's an, it was uh, obvious that the offense just wasn't moving the ball. And the fact that they did not feel confident in either of those guys to make that different, you know, that, that that's a red flag to me. And I think Zeno could be the guy maybe i think he's i think he probably has the most raw talent maybe you know maybe him and drones are probably in that 
position, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it'll be drones just because it's, it's, it'd be tough for a true freshman. I think eventually he yeah. will be the guy, but if, I, I don't know. I can't for sure say it'd be Zeno or Bahannon. I want to say Zeno right now because outside of physical tools, probably, you know, that, that, that obviously goes to Bahannon, but uh, when it comes to like raw quarterback tools, I think Zeno's the guy, but I don't know if anybody should feel confident about <laughs> making any call when it comes to this battle. I think that what's interesting too is that all we have to go off with Jeff Grimes is his time with Zach Wilson, right? Yeah, Who's yeah. a very specific quarterback. So I think the question also becomes, was Zach Wilson sort of that way on purpose or mm-hmm. was that just who he was and they worked with it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's funny. I, I think that you look at these four guys and I think that the guy who, from what I hear, looks kind of the most per se like Zach Wilson well, that, that sounds funny with this context, but is Blake Shapin. Blake Shapin okay. is a very accurate passer. He's a guy who can move a little bit. He's a little undersized is, is really the big knock against him. But, you know, I, I don't think he's going to have a great arm. He doesn't have a Zeno arm, right? Like none of these mm-hmm. guys do. But he's one of those guys who's, you know, kind of got that baseball arm, right? Like he's really accurate. He places the ball well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I've, I've heard some really good things about him. And so, like, if you're looking for a guy who's going to maybe – be one-to-one Zach Wilson, right? Like obviously not that talented, but I I think Blake Shapin is closer to that. But I think that people also were really down on Gary Bohannon because, you know, the the limited time they got to see him in the Big 12 title game, he struggled. Well, he had an injury at that time, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I think that there's just this assumption, you know, that if things go one way, right? And and if we see you and you don't look ideal in that moment, that that means that you can't do it, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I think that people read too much into that kind of stuff. So I would say, look, if if you said that Matt Rule's system was back, and I think we even saw some of this last year, I, I think that Jacob Zeno is a better fit for that than yeah. anybody else. I, I think that they wanted a guy who is a little bit more, not a statue, but, but a guy who was going to deal from the pocket. If you were to ask me about even last year, right, I think they would have liked a guy who maybe could move a little bit more, who, yes, is doing some of the complex passing game stuff, but also had some flexibility. And so now, you know, with this new staff coming in, I don't know exactly what they're going to want, but, you know, it's real tough. I think that drones down the road, like you said, is going to be sort of a really good fit for what they want to do. But I think that having a fresh slate is going to be big for all four of these guys. And yeah, I mean, if I had to guess right now, I think that Gary Bohannon has as good a, a chance as any of winning the starting job. I think so too. And I'm looking, I'm going through uh, Jeff Grimes' recent history when he was offensive line coach, you know, and obviously going to yeah. his first job as OC at BYU. And there are a mixture of quarterbacks, right? He had uh, at Auburn, obviously, he was part of that uh, national title team with Cam Newton. But mm-hmm. under Gene Chizik, I believe they also had some pocket passers in there when uh, Gus Malzahn left. Um, Virginia Tech, Logan Thomas, right? It's kind of a mix there. Mm-hmm. Uh, big body you can run. LSU, they went from Anthony Jennings to Danny Etling. Like it, Miles Brennan was in Those there, right? It, right, exactly. Um, but it wasn't like a set, you know, this type of quarterback, right? Which, which is really intriguing to me because, um, and then obviously he got to work with his own guy with Zach Wilson, but um, he, he does have like an experience, you know, developing blocking schemes for, different types of quarterbacks so you know unlike somebody like a, a Larry Fedora where you can probably pinpoint right what his quarterback is 
I think Jeff Grimes is pretty open to working with whatever, you know, whatever, whoever is the best guy as opposed to his guy. Yeah, I, I think that in a lot of ways, this is the quarterback battle that we know the least about because we don't really even know what the offense is, right? right. And so right. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. I, again, I really do think that any of these four guys have a shot to win it. Like you mentioned, I mean, I think that Drones is probably the guy who has the longest shot just because he's just coming in. But listen, I mean, he's he's probably the most talented of the bunch, right? And so mm-hmm. sometimes you just come in and you see a guy and you're like, I can work with that and and figure it out. And the other thing that's going to be really interesting too, right, is that by uh, by eligibility, you know, all three of the four guys are sort of freshmen, right? So they, mm-hmm. they all have a shot to overlap, which is going to be, I think, something that's going to uh, play big into their decisions too, is just how to manage that scholarship chart. So it'll be interesting, but let's go ahead and move on. Uh, the, the final Big 12 team that we're going to talk about, the University of Texas. It's a two-man battle in a lot of ways between Casey Thompson and Hudson Card. Uh, Casey Thompson obviously had that great bowl game in the Alamo Bowl, eight for 10, three touchdowns, all that. But that was under an old staff. That was in an old system. And, uh, you know, from what we hear, Hudson Card might be a really good fit, too, for what Steve Sarkeesian wants. Yeah, I, th- I think it's good. I think it's Hudson Card's job to lose. Um, highly touted prospect. I think at Lake Travis, you could, I, to me, you could have made the argument that they didn't necessarily run the best system for him. I think he didn't really get to show a lot of his dual threat ability. He, he was a former wide receiver who, you know, or he was a quarterback who played wide receiver when they wanted to get him on the field because he was such a good athlete when yeah. uh, Matthew Baldwin was there. Um, and I don't think they really utilize a lot of his talents, his final year at Lake Travis. So a lot of his numbers or a lot of his film may not show a dual threat athlete. Um, but I think that he, that's going to be one thing that catches a lot of people off guard when it comes to seeing him play. And yeah, as much as Casey Tom, I think Casey Thompson obviously is a good quarterback. There's a reason why they were so comfortable with him being the number two. But I think when it gets down to, you know, somebody like Steve Sarkeesian, he's going to want somebody who is accurate, who can run, and who has size. Like, you know, th- that's one thing against Casey Thompson that, that uh, Hudson Card has. Hudson Card has size on him, and he probably has a stronger arm. Uh, he might Accuracy might be maybe a, maybe a bit of a toss up, you know. Uh, uh, Thompson looked a bit looked really accurate in the in the bowl game as well, but I think that that size advantage and it's not a big size advantage, right? But it's I think it's enough to where I wouldn't be shocked if also I mean the other thing to me is like what else are you waiting for, right? Because Casey, Casey Thompson, what would, what would he be? He'd be a junior this year, so like, would you really sit Hudson Card for two more years? Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's a fair question. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, there is a chance Casey Thompson lights it up and becomes, you know, er we see it every year where just some quarterback comes out of nowhere and gets a lot of draft hype, but I don't see it. I'd see Casey Thompson. If you name him the starter, you're more or less presuming that he's going to be there for two years. And I don't see them waiting that long with a, with a guy like Hudson card, who, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, they have a, a 2022 commit that's really highly touted, but you know, I don't, I don't think they're trying to shoo Hudson Card out the door anytime soon. Well, I think that that's an interesting question because I think that it, I, I'm curious, right? If you're Steve Sarkeesian, especially if you're coming in as a new head coach, yeah. like, do you feel like you have to care about that? Because, you know, no, if fair. you have Casey Thompson and you're like, this guy's going to be the starter for two years, first of all, I mean, obviously he doesn't want to do it, but two years is a pretty reasonable amount of time for Hudson Card to have to wait if he has to, right? Like, sure, sure. it's not like he's going to lose his shot at being the starter, right? Which is something that we see all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then, like you mentioned, they've got this kid Malik Murphy coming in, who's a five-star quarterback from California. Yeah. It, you know, so like if you're Steve Sarkeesian, is your thought, I'll just get another one. And, and obviously, you know, with all of this, I think that uh, because of a variety of factors that make total sense, honestly, uh, college football quarterbacks have kind of, it's turned into free agency, right? So yeah. is it thought if we lose Hudson Card, which we don't want to do, obviously, we don't want to lose <laughs> this kid. But if we lose Hudson Card, we can get another kid. I mean, I think of that, that probably has to come into your mind, too. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's completely fair, I think. I yeah. guess I just think that it boils down to how much stock do you put in that bowl game, right? right. Um, and like you said, is that something, is the future and Malik Murphy kind of potentially waiting if they can hold on to him? Is that something that you, you know, you you think about where it's like, well, if I start Hudson Carr, that's more or less putting him, you know, on the on the depth chart for two to three years. And does that compromise our thing, our situation with Malik Murphy? If he, if he decides to sign and, you know, after a year or two feels that he's better and he can get somewhere else. Um, I don't know. Yeah. That, it's going to be intriguing. I, I still think Hudson cards the, uh, has a slight edge, but um, I mean, it, it is a battle, right? I think that's it, without that bowl game performance from Casey Thompson, I don't think we're looking at this as much of a battle. Um, but I think that the fact that he showed what he did does make it more interesting. Yeah. I mean, and I will say, right. Like I, I do also wonder with the whole Casey Thompson thing, right. I, I mean, we saw Sam Ellinger come through high school and be a great player. We saw Hudson card come through high school and be a great player in the state. Right. Mm -hmm. Does it matter to people that, you know, we have such intimate familiarity with what Hart, yep. Hudson card can do. 100%. And, you know, maybe we don't have enough idea of what Casey Thompson can do. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. And I mean, I will say, right. Yes. You obviously risk losing Hudson card if Casey Thompson starts, but it probably wouldn't be until after the year, at least. Uh, whereas if Hudson card sort of definitively wins the job, I think there's more of a chance that Casey Thompson jets out quicker and you're left in a position where, you know, you kind of have to uh, rely on Charles, Wright, Who's the guy who we're kind of counting out and all of this. Right. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, being a it sounds all fun and games to to be a blue blood blue blood program uh recruiting quarterbacks and getting all these four and five stars and, and having all this excitement but man <laughs> i think that we've seen uh up close and personal that it's it can become a mess it can become a mess real quick so 100 i think uh, you want to hear one uh one more thing on this yeah do you know it'd be basically god i'm trying to look at the timeline right now if Casey Thompson's named the starter, this he'd be the first non-Texan quarterback potentially to start in 20 years. <laughs> and I don't know if that's something if that's something on his mind. I don't think if Sark, I don't I don't know if Sark actually cares, right? I'm but sure Sark doesn't that is just realize. <laughs> right. I was about to say he probably doesn't, but that is like an interesting aesthetic to it, right? Where uh by the way, it was Chris Sims. Uh, was the last one. Um where's Chris Sims him, from? Uh he is from New Jersey. All right. I mean, I, yeah. I, it makes sense. I just, right. I mean, I wasn't around watching football. And Apple White was Apple White's from um, uh, Louisiana. So it's okay. both of those yeah. guys, but <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, obviously who the, the, the easy question is who cares, right? If he's the best quarterback, he's the best quarterback, but um, that is an interesting thing where it's like, of course the university of Texas has had a Texas quarterback and right. that potentially changing is just an interesting aesthetic, especially right. considering what they want to ingratiate themselves with when it comes to the landscape of the state. Listen, I mean, we've had conversations off air about this and, and let's close with this with Texas, but um, 
I mean, look, 2022 is like the greatest quarterback class in modern Texas history, state of Texas wise. Yep. And they went to California to go nab a kid. So yeah. I, I think that, you know, from at least some perspective, I, I think that Sark doesn't really care. And at the right. same time, right. But here's the whole deal is that the reason that people don't give Chris Sims enough credit is not because he's from New Jersey. It's sure. because, you know, he didn't win the game that they wanted them to win. Right. right. <laughs> like, 100%. and the reason that people give Vince Young so much love is because he's Vince Young and he won. And, and you know, you can even point to obviously Ricky Williams, right. This California kid, beloved mm-hmm. because he was awesome. So if, if, Casey Thompson's going to be a better quarterback. People will get over it, even if you're kicking out the Austin kid for it. So, so. moving on to AM, uh, let's try to move through, through these a little quicker. But um, I, I think that this one's pretty straightforward. I mean, I think that both of us think that Haynes King is the guy. I think that, um, you know, Eli Sowers, I think, is an interesting guy to add to the mix, but similar to, uh, to like we were talking about with Kyron Drones. First year kid, it's just going to be tough, I think, for him to come in and, and win the job, especially, I mean, when when is the last time Jimbo started a, a true freshman quarterback, right? Like it's been yeah. a hot minute because I mean, he didn't even, he didn't even start Jameis, right? He sat right. Jameis his first year. So, right. And so um, I think that we're for that reason, counting Stowers out. Look, I, I mean, same sort of deal, right? Maybe we just haven't seen enough Calzada because he was an out of state kid. And, you know, we don't have the same context for him as we do Haynes, but mm-hmm. I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you built a Texas A&M quarterback in a lab, just, everything on field, everything off field, mm-hmm. it would literally be Haynes King, you know, right. coach's son from East Texas who won a state championship, who, you know, has shown a whole lot, both as a, a passer and as a runner, like it's everything, right? Like mm-hmm. I've, I've joked before and not, not this seriously, but like, listen, if Haynes King isn't the guy, then I will never know who the guy will be. Right? Right. Texas. He's a no. perfect fit. And, 100%. and I expect it to, to work out that way. I do too. I mean, there's not much to add to that aside from I can't wait till a lot of people hear his interview because he has one of my favorite voices of all time. Um, again, bred in a lab for AM. I think the first interview people hear of this guy will be like, oh my God, he is building a statue right now. He is our quarterback for life. Yeah, so I'm really excited about that one. Again, not not to dismiss the the other two guys in the competition, but I think that both of us just feel real good about what Haynes King brings to the table. And yes. you know, I mean, I think that I think he got a little bit of a bad rap his senior year because they just lost a lot of players, right, from oh, sure, their state sure. title team. And so, yeah. you know, he fell from being like a five star kid to all of a sudden like, oh, he's only the 112th best player in America or whatever it is. Right. But I don't think either of us are worried about that one bit. And, no, no. Uh, and you end up in a situation now where, yeah, I mean, you're rebuilding the offensive line, but most of the rest of the talent on offense is back. Yeah. And so, uh, and, you know, maybe you finally get to add Demond Demas to the, to the field. Maybe you finally get to add Moose Muhammad to the field, you know? So, and he almost, didn't he almost lead a touchdown? I mean, it was garbage time, but didn't he almost yeah. lead a touchdown drive against Alabama? Like that's I something. He, I, I think he might've actually done it. Yeah. Uh, like, I know I he at least that. drove down the field fairly decently like again backup second string whatever but like freshman in tuscaloosa like that's nothing that's not nothing yeah so listen if if this doesn't work out then i'm just i'm just gonna have to retire for a year or something (laughs) it's just it's just the perfect situation right with all that so uh anyway i don't think we need to talk too much more about that let's let's quick hit some of the group of five teams that have guys coming back Mm -hmm. and let's start with houston clayton toon the consensus starter there i will say just about their quarterback situation in general that I like Maddox Cop, who they just added, but mm-hmm. outside of that, I mean, they're for a Dana Holgerson quarterback room in the city of Houston. 
it, it's just not a great one, is it? It's it's fine. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's it. That's all I can add is like it's fine. Um, Clayton Toon showed some flashes last year, especially in the beginning um, when we thought they were probably they were. I mean, we really thought they were better than they actually were. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like Clayton, to me, he reminds me of like he's like the perfect next guy up in a Dana team. Yeah. Right. Like he's the guy waiting behind Geno Smith. He's the guy waiting behind Will Greer. I don't see him and he's, but he's been the guy for now two years and yeah, I don't know. I don't have much to add. It's fine. (laughs) Clayton Toon is Skylar Howard, right? Like, Uh, right. Yes. No, that's perfect. Clayton Toon is okay. Cool. Graduate so we can bring in Austin Kendall. Like somebody. (laughs) Right. And Jared Dagey. And and I'm not saying that he, I'm not saying that he doesn't have more inside of him, but but this kid has become a junior quicker than I ever imagined possible, right? (laughs) Right. Like, or or is he a senior this year, actually? He is a, no, he's a, I believe he is a junior this year. Yeah, so, like, this has happened quicker than I could have ever imagined, right? Like, where it just feels like he hasn't even had a fair shot, probably. And has has, has he improved? Like, I don't know. Has he improved? He hasn't yet, right? And and so... I don't know. It's a weird situation. Again, I really do like Maddox Cop, and I actually think he's going to be a really good fit for Dana Holgerson. But mm. I don't know, man. It's well, okay. So, so he is actually he is actually a fourth year quarterback now because okay. uh, so uh, sure. you know because of all the weirdness, he could play potentially up to two more years. And right. you know, this is a kid who really could have used a redshirt year, right? Like similar to Max Duggan. I actually think that mm-hmm. these situations are kind of similar, right? Where. I would have liked them to be able to get comfortable before they got thrown to the wolves. Like, I think this has been very unfair, honestly, to Clayton soon, but yeah, uh, that's game's the game. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, but moving on another team that has returning star- uh, starting quarterback is UTEP. Uh, you know, they, they have Gavin Hardison back. We'll, we'll continue to play the game. Is Gavin Hardison good, but I think he's quite good for what UTEP needs and, and for mm-hmm. what they've been. Uh, they they added a kid who I like a little bit in Jacoby Longino from uh, somewhere High Tower, I think it was. I think so, yeah. And uh, you know, so I think that they've got some guys in the room. They got a pretty deep room just in mm-hmm. terms of options. Um, I, I think that clearly behind Hardison, <laughs> there's a big drop off. But uh, but look, if, if Hardison's back, I mean, I, I think that he's a solid player. I think they've got solid receivers, so I feel okay about it relative to kind of what you would expect from a UTEP room. I think so too. I think that in summary, I think UTEP's at a spot where for better or for worse, like you can look at Gavin Hardison and like point to him to be like, okay, this season could be made or broken on him. Right. right? Because they have, they have a decent offensive line. They have a lot of weapons at the skill positions. Like, okay, now we need to get this right. Right. No longer is, is it going to be his wide receivers failed him or the running game. It's like, okay, now you're, you're potentially the guy that people are going to look to to take this to the next level. If you can play consistently as well as we've seen you, you know, potentially looking at a flirting with bowl season, right? So yeah, no no question. No question. So uh, another team that's a little bit of an interesting situation, but they do return. I think who we would consider to be their consensus starter is Texas state. Brady McBride is back, but also Mm -hmm. Tyler Vitt who started a bunch of games was back. And also they added a, transfer from North Carolina Ty Evans so do you kind of assume that this is Brady McBride's job I I feel like the way he ended the season made me feel a little bit more confident of that yeah I do too um I'm definitely more confident with him being the starter going 
after the way the season ended, especially because I think his shakiness came from when he wasn't sure if he was going to be the starter, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you want to do that again as Jake Spavinall, you know, kind of make it an open competition. You can keep it a, a secret competition. Don't really address it or, you know, say we're just evaluating things like that. But I, I think for the most part, you have to lean with Brady McBride because his, his comp, I don't want to say his confidence was shot, but it definitely, when they, when he was playing that uh, uh, yo-yo game with him and Tyler Vitt, that was the worst we saw of McBride. Yeah. And so I think you have to kind of give him the confidence of knowing that it's his job to lose at the very least. I think that the big thing for me is if you're gonna if you're gonna sit McBride, you need to sit McBride, right? Sure, like, sure, right. I I think that I'm I'm uh, again not that I know the kid personally by any means, but like it seemed like from his play that look if if he knew that he got beat out, if he knew that he just lost, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's just a very different situation than than like you mentioned, sort of the switching drives and stuff like that. That was awful to me, yeah. um, and. And look, I mean, if Ty Evans comes in and is clearly better than them too, then start him, right? Like yeah, start yeah. him. But uh, but I think that, like you said, I, I think that Brady McBride really benefited from sort of feeling like the guy. And uh, and both at the beginning and end of the year, I thought that he really bookended his year with some really nice performances. So uh, just based off of what I've seen from the two guys who are there, I, I expect Brady McBride to be the guy. Again, Ty Evans, a highly ranked kid. Uh, and maybe somebody who will be around for a couple of years too, right? So mm-hmm. it'll it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Uh, another team with with quarterbacks coming back, lots of quarterbacks coming back actually, is UTSA. <laughs> Frank Harris is sort of the presumed starter. Do you expect that to change much, or do you kind of feel like they had their shot at doing stuff like that last year and, and still ended up going with Frank Harris? Yeah, I think that for 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 Frank Harris's faults, I think that. When he was back, he was when he was healthy, he was the guy, right? And I think that they feel even where he's deficient compared to the other quarterbacks, I think what they want to do on offense leans his way. They want to obviously be a running team mm-hmm. um, with some with some passing elements to it. And I think they feel confident in Frank Harris being the guy that can do that well enough. Um, whether it's, you know, Narcissa's arm not being there or uh, why am I blanking on the other guy? Um, uh, Josh Atkins, Josh Atkins, yes, or Josh Atkins' legs not being there. I think they find enough of a middle ground with Harris to feel confident with him. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think that look, if you're UTSA, I think it's probably a little bit more of an ongoing evaluation. Um, mm-hmm. but again, you kind of got to see what Josh Atkins can do, you kind of got to see uh, what Lowell Narcisse could do. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, Sudden Sapiens, another kid who's been there a couple years now who maybe gets a shot. Uh, but yeah, I, I just feel like it's Frank Harris until it's not Frank Harris. And at this point, it, it hasn't not been Frank Harris really right. the entire time that he's had a chance to play. So uh, at Rice, Giovanni Johnson was clearly the next up once Mike Collins got hurt. He is back. Uh, Wiley Green also back. And they added a transfer named Jake Constantine from Weber State. Again, I, I think that it seems like they were pretty comfortable going forward with Giovanni Johnson. Uh, I would like to see more from him, kind of like what we got to see from Mike Collins. But, uh, I mean, he's a kid who made a lot of correct decisions that he obviously led them to their win over Marshall. And I think it'll be an open competition, but I expect him to come out on top. Yeah, I do too. Um, he did okay. I mean, he wasn't, asked, like you said, he wasn't asked to do really much at all against Marshall. But, uh, you know, if that's the game plan, that's the game plan. And he executed it pretty well. Um, I will say, even when they opened it up a little bit against UAB, wasn't bad. Right. Yeah. It looked okay. Um, 
and yeah, I, I'm, I'd be curious to see what he looks like when he's asked to throw the ball a little bit deeper. Um, you know, obviously he had a 70% completion, but that was a lot of underneath routes, a lot of screens, a lot of safe throws, which fair enough, you were protecting your young quarterback against really, really good competition. Um, but I'm really curious to see who do they have to start off the season? Let me see really quick. Um, because I'm just trying to find like who his first opponent would be to hopefully they can okay so it's arkansas not great um <laughs> not great. and then houston not great okay and then texas not great jeez who yeah. made the schedule um <laughs> this is what rice does every year man it's like... yeah that's true okay september 25th against texas southern i can't wait to see what he does against them <laughs> <laughs> yeah no doubt uh also worth noting uh they they have a new offensive coordinator as jerry mack went and joined the tennessee staff mm. uh it's marcus Tuyasasopo. so nice okay yeah. how about that how about nice. that so uh, oh, by the way, uh, let's not, uh, based on the trajectories of the two teams, I'm not going to write off that Houston game right just yet. So yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting. They, <laughs> that'll be, that'll be a, te- that'll be a very, very interesting game. Potentially. They, I will say Rycester replace a decent amount. So that's ah, okay. going to be kind of the key. Um, you know, last year was really the year where they returned literally everybody, but, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I mean, there's, there's something there. I, I think Houston's going to win and I don't think it's going to be too close, but I think Rice will sure. give them a scare at least to start. So, uh, okay. So we're down to the last two, unless I'm missing something. I don't think I'm missing anybody, but we're down to the last two teams and one has like a semi open competition and one is a pretty open competition. So let's start with North Texas. So Jason Bean, opted to transfer as far as I know, does not have a destination as yet, but uh, will not be back in North Texas, leaving Austin Ani as the presumed starter, but he will get some competition from Amani Gilmore, who was a Kentucky transfer last year, who I've heard is a little bit on the raw side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this summer, he's not on campus right now. They add in Jace Reuter, a transfer from North Carolina, who was like a legit blue chip kid who basically just got beat out by Sam Howell because Sam Howell's maybe going to win the Heisman and didn't get to play. So huge pickup in my opinion for them. The question is, can he kind of get up to speed quick enough to beat out Osnani? Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm just going to go ahead and say that it won't take much for me (laughs) for that to potentially happen. Um, Based on what we saw from both these guys last year, Jason Bean and, and Ani, now that Bean's gone, I don't know if I feel confident in just saying Austin on based on even just based on experience. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he came in and beat and beat Austin Ani right away because you know we thought that Austin Ani was the guy. Then Jason Bean kind of worked his way back in, and then Jason Bean didn't look that great either. But they still obviously were rolled with him, and so I don't think it'll take much for Austin Ani to not win this job. I think that the new guy coming in. I mean, if he if he is a blue chip recruit. I mean, getting beat by Sam Howell isn't nothing to be ashamed of. No. Um, and I think that Seth Luttrell's been itching for a game-breaking type quarterback since Mason Fine left. And I think that this is his chance to get one. I I, I, I think he's going to be the guy with a leg up when he comes in. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's Austin on his numbers, right? We're yeah. pretty good. <laughs> I mean... But, and I hate saying this because it's dismissive, but like, it just ended up feeling like a lot of the numbers ended up being really empty, right? Sure, and sure. He, he only completed 54% of his passes, which I think contributes to that. And a lot of it was striking on big plays specifically to Jalen Darden. So I don't know. I, I really <laughs> don't know. I guess 
I mean, I feel like if he if he comes back, we'll have to have the is Austin Ani good conversation, right? right? Um, I do think that, like you mentioned, Reuter's probably, well, I mean, not even probably, Reuter's the, the most talented quarterback coming in, but mm-hmm. it's always tough when, you know, Ani's going to, this is what his third offseason with the program. I mean, that's a, that's a big leg up, especially for a coaching staff on offense that's been pretty much the same. I don't know, but the one thing that I will say in terms of coaching staff is that they are bringing in a new quarterback coach. So does that play a part that, you know, maybe the quarterback coach doesn't have as much draw to Asanani, uh, you know, Mike Blush is the new offensive coordinator. So Seth Luttrell is not going to be calling plays and so maybe he doesn't have that, uh, that sort of not bias, but I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting to kind of see, but I think, look, obviously the defense was the worst in college football and I don't want to dismiss that, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, the whole point is that the offense is supposed to be so good that it maybe doesn't matter too much. And that's not really how it's happened. So right. let's close with a with a interesting quarterback battle down on the hilltop at SMU. We got Tanner Mordecai coming in from Oklahoma. We got Preston Stone coming in as a high school recruit, one of the best recruits in the history of SMU. What do you think? Do you, do you think that this is just Tanner Mordecai's job and, uh, and Preston Stone's just going to have to wait his turn? Or do you think that Preston Stone can win this job? Oof. I I think Preston Stone can win this job. Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not that I mean I don't want to say I'm that, not that impressed with Tanner Mordecai. I think Tanner Mordecai is a good quarterback, but I don't know if nothing would nothing would would to me Sonny Sonny Dykes, it would not shock me just to him for him to say, you know what, we're rolling with the blue chip guy for three to four years right yeah. like it would not stun me at all it would it would tanner mordecai to me makes sense as a buffer option either to eventually pave the way for preston stone or to be a really good guy in case preston stone isn't ready just yet and maybe has a bad game or something so you can yank him okay tanner mordecai go in right it's kind of patch the season together i don't know if i mean preston stone is on campus right Yes. Okay. So, I mean, they're, they're you know, it's going to be both guys having the same amount of time in the system. I, I would, it would not shock me if he just says, you know what, let's just give this highly touted hometown kid a, a shot, you know? Yeah. And it is going to be interesting too, because uh, Tanner Mordecai is heading into his fourth season as a college football player, but he has three years of eligibility potentially remaining. And I don't expect that he'd use all three. I expect that he probably, if he won the job, would probably do two and they'd kind of be like, thanks, but, you know, see ya. Right. Um, but it does sort of put you in an interesting position with the kid who you kind of, I, I'm not saying that they promised him anything in terms of ability sure. to start because I'm sure they didn't. But, you know, obviously when Preston Stone signed, I mean, they added uh, they added Mordecai like 12 days later. <laughs> mm, right, right. So it's, it's a tough situation, I think, for that. You know, and... And I, I will say, I do think that Preston Stone has the ability to start just from a talent perspective. Mm-hmm. I think that the other thing that I'll say about Preston Stone is that you hear a lot about um, the last two years, right? Because he's basically been committed for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. He spent a lot of time, you know, in those, uh, in some of the open meetings, in some of the, uh, at practice, right? Like mm-hmm. he's been involved in the program, not throwing, not practicing by any means, mm-hmm. but he's been involved in the program and in the system for damn near two years. Yeah. So this is not a normal situation where you got a kid who's never like 
learned anything about their terminology or anything coming to campus and just showing up he hasn't mm-hmm. thrown that's that's the last step but right. uh but you know he's had that there and the one thing that i think complicates all of this is that they've got a decent amount of talented production coming back so if Preston Stone is very much a project, I, I think that's the question. If, mm-hmm. if the staff sees him that way, that's where it gets kind of interesting is if you're like, look, we're going to sacrifice 2021 for the betterment of 22 and 23. When I think that 21, that team is talented enough, especially with Reggie Robertson coming back to do some stuff. So yeah. I don't know. It, it's going to be really interesting. I think that I'm going to lean that Mordecai is going to start, but mm-hmm. I mean, look, I, I don't think anything would surprise me in this battle. Yeah, no, it wouldn't with me either. I think you have, I think if you're looking for a more Shane Buscelli type, I think you go with Preston Stone. Um, I think obviously if you go with experience and probably the bigger arm, you go with Tanner Mordecai. Um, Preston Stone does, you know, he does. Uh, t- that was Tanner Mordecai's thing coming out of Midway was just obviously slinging the ball all over the field. But he is a bit of a statue in the pocket right there he's not as mobile as somebody like a Preston Stone and if that's something that Sonny Dykes prefers you know I don't know that's there they are two different quarterbacks so along with experience it is going to be like what does he does he think that you know somebody with a bigger arm can work with a lot of these returning guys like Roberson and Rice more right as opposed to somebody just kind of peppering the ball which is what theoretically uh Preston Stone would probably do more of this year yeah, so it's going to be tough. It's, it's definitely going to be tough. I think that the nice thing is that, I mean, again, whichever one of these guys wins, I think is going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the state, right? Like, I think that yeah. they're going to have a chance to, regardless of who wins, to have one of the better quarterback rooms in the state right away. Mm-hmm. And um, and look, I think that if you're SMU more than anything right now, right, the biggest thing that you want is to know that this wasn't just going to be a two-year blip with Shane Bouchelle, right? And I think regardless of what happens next, both of these guys are talented enough to almost guarantee you that there's going to be more heading into the future. Mm. So anyway, that's all 12 teams. Uh, Again, I I think that the ones that I'm going to really, really be paying the most attention to, right, are that SMU battle, just because I think both kids are so talented. That Baylor battle, because I really just have no idea. Right. I mean, I just, I just literally, I mean, you know, I, I obviously, you know, historically I'm a Baylor guy, right? Like I, I don't have any major insights on, uh, on what, which kid is best, which kid is ready. I, I have no idea. That's for just totally, totally just things out there. And then I, I'm also going to be really interested with the Hudson card, Casey Thompson battle, because I mean, really, I, I think it's going to have major implications obviously for the program for the next several mm-hmm. years, but I think even for the state for the next couple of years. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, this is probably the most uncertain I can remember. I've been about so many programs, right? Even, even the ones that are quote unquote sure bets. I mean, it's not exactly things you can put down in pen right now. Yeah. Do you think, let's close with this. Do you think that all of this turnover means that it's going to be like a not very good year uh, across the Texas colleges? Or do you think that it's more that depending on how good these guys turn out, that maybe teams could be even better than we think they are if these battles kind of work out? Um, That's interesting because I don't know that that's, I don't think that it's going to be, that is a good question. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that the ceiling is going to be, underratedly high yeah right i think that we we kind of imagine this 
a ceiling for Texas A&M. We kind of imagine the ceiling for Texas based off the quarterback, kind of imagine for a lot of teams. But, I mean, this is every, – every program goes through this, right? But we're just – we just happen to go through – we're just happen to be going through it all at once. And so I think that you're going to have some misses, obviously. Um, I don't know who I'd bet on to be a miss right now. But I think you're going to see – I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if you see four to five, like, really, really good studs for the next three to five years come out this season. And I think that pushes, you know, maybe an A&M to be better than maybe we were, we were projecting them or even a Texas, right? If Hudson card hits right away, like tech, all of a sudden Texas ceiling is, you know, probably just below Oklahoma or something, right? If they get things going right. Um, I don't know. Yeah. That, that's a good question. I think that for me, just, just glancing at things, just compared to 2020, Mm-hmm. I think that there's only two teams that I see the floor being a lot lower than what it was last year. Mm-hmm. And to me, those two teams are rice just because they lost a decent amount. And because, right. you know, Austin Trammell's gone, Mike Collins are gone. And I'm not saying they're going to be like a lot worse, right? I mean, they only played five games. I don't even think it's fair to say that we got to see what their ceiling could be. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that their floor is a little bit lower just because of the rebuilding. Uh, and I think Texas, I think Texas just, it's a first year head coach. They lost a whole lot of experience. They lost Sam Cosme, Sam Ellinger, Caden Stearns, Joseph Osai. Like you lost some legit NFL types from that team. And so I think that, and when I say a, a lower floor, right? Like I still think it's going to be eight wins, right? Like, I don't think it's going to be, they're not going to go five and seven. Right. Yeah. But, but I think that for every other team based off of last year. And I mean, and I'm, it's probably fair to say, okay, you know, we gotta, we gotta wait and see whether they can be as good as they were last year. But, um, but, you know, I look at every other team. I mean, I look at Baylor, TCU tech, uh, Houston. Uh, I mean, well, hopefully Houston, you know, I don't think North Texas is going to be worse than they were last year. I don't think UTEP's going to be worse than they were last year. Uh, Texas state. I mean, they, <laughs> if they're as bad as they were last year, then Jake Spavadal is not going to be the head coach at Texas state much longer. And I don't yeah. think I expect that. So, I, I think that a lot of these teams have a chance to be better. And uh, and even more specifically, I think that several of these programs, based on what happens, have the potential to get even more from that quarterback position than maybe we've seen in the past couple of years. Well, hey, thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. Uh, as always, like I mentioned, uh, become a subscriber to textfootball.com slash subscribe. It's a perfect time to do it. Again, you get the magazine shipped directly to your house. I promise you, we we put in a ton of effort to this magazine. So if you are a fan of high school or college football at any level, we have you covered. Make sure and also check out on textfootball.com right now. We have a lot of coverage from the spring season for small college football. Corey Hogue mm-hmm. doing a great job over there. Um, and, and I will say too, I mean, we have a, uh, I, I think we have a legitimate national title contender at the FCS level in Sam Houston. So We're if back. you want to, if you want to jump on the, the bandwagon, either jump on their bandwagon or incarnate word, they look like killers right now too. So uh, I saw some FCS uh, playoff projections and both those teams in a, in a smaller field, mind you are projected into the playoffs. So there's lots of bandwagons to jump on right now. So now is a perfect time to do it. Textfootball.com slash subscribe. Uh, but as always, you can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Sex Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. Uh, you find all of our work at textfootball.com. For Ishmael Johnson, I'm Shahan Jiraja. Thanks so much to everybody for joining us. And we'll talk to you guys again next week.